Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Jessica Stevens here, your host of I Just Blank Now What the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me for another Now What Wednesday. I don't know about you, but it is my favorite day of the week when we launch a new episode to all of you so you can take in these fabulous stories from these amazing humans who have had life come at them and they've had to figure out what to do next after that. So today is no different. We have an amazing story from across the pond. Amy is joining me all the way from the UK today, and uh, she has a wonderful story of when she was officially diagnosed as autistic, as an adult. Yes, not just, you know, ADHD or whatnot, but full-blown autistic, and she unpacks the story of how that came to be and how this diagnosis has had a real big impact on her life and how she functions, and how she helps other people now too. So let's learn a little bit about Amy. She describes herself as a deliciously flawed, complex, and wonderful human being who is supporting other deliciously flawed, complex, and wonderful human beings to live their best lives. Her career has been squiggly, from working as an actor in theater and BBC radio, to writing plays and directing actors through My Theater Company and Charity Idol Company, to be a passionate mental health advocate, a people development guru, an often impatient mother to a small, lovely six-year-old thug, proudly autistic, an ardent and fervent feminist, and a splashy creative and a lover of all things story. Amy is a life coach and works with clients using her story framework to encourage them to gangle their lives about a bit until the contents plonk on the floor, have a reshuffle, have a play, and pick them up again, revived, shiny, and new. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was gonna do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friends, have you ever had that I just feel so bloated, now what moment? (laughs) Me too, and that's when I reach for my Greens Gut Glow Drink. Yep, I can sip my way to healthier looking skin, support my digestive system, and get an extra scoop of greens all in one bundle that helps me de-bloat. This nutritious trinity includes three of my favorite Arbonne Nutrition products, Be Well Superfood Greens, Gut Health Digestion and Microbiome Support, and Skin Elixir Collagen Support. I drink this every day. The greens, just one scoop of this versatile vegan superfood powder, delivers a blend of 36 fruits and vegetables in each serving for a boost of greens, featuring fiber, photonutrients, along with a natural deep green color courtesy of blue-green algae derived from spirulina, chlorelia, wheatgrass, and barleygrass. Just one scoop provides me with the benefits of eating a full color spectrum of fruits and vegetables. 
Minding my gut's microbiome is a must, and this delicate balance of bacteria helps support favorable gut flora. Designed to support the benefits of a healthy diet, this plant-powered natural health product mixes easily with water, so its blend of probiotics and enzymes can work synergistically with my body to help support gastrointestinal health. Its ingredients include inulin from chicory root and 3 billion CFUs of bacillus coagulant probiotics plus enzymes that act as a digestive aid. This natural health product helps support favorable gut flora while helping to digest proteins and contains ginger, which traditionally used in herbal medicine to help relieve digestive upset. For the glow, I'm sipping my way to healthier looking skin. This acai or dragon fruit flavored vegan natural health product features antioxidant vitamin C to help in collagen formation to maximize healthy bones, cartilage, teeth, and gums, silicone and biotin to support healthy hair, skin, and nails, and a blend of sea buckthorn fruit extract, pine bark extract, and vitamin C for antioxidants. This vegan natural health product provides beneficial ingredients for my skin, hair, and nails. So head to jessicastevenstoronto.arbon.com and use promo code ARBON10 to get 10% off your Greens Get Glow bundle. That's jessicastevenstoronto.arbon.com and promo code ARBON10 gets you 10% off. Or just click the link in the show notes and get your Greens Gut Glow Bundle all in one click. Hi, Amy. Hey. How's it going? Yes, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day here. So that's a, it's a good day in my books. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous here as well. I'm in London and it's absolutely lovely. It feels like spring is finally springing, which is a great relief. Yeah, excellent. All right. So we have a lot to talk about today. So we are going to like get this episode going. I'm so excited that we got to connect and that you're here to share your story. Obviously, I just read your wonderful bio to everybody in the intro, but when guests come on, I always love for them to share something about themselves in their own words. So what do you actually want people to know about you? so many things I think what I want people to know about me is that I bring to the table a huge amount of different skills and qualities and parts of myself through the fact that I'm autistic you know I've had this late diagnosis and actually that it's not a thing to be ashamed of there's a lot of shame around neurodiversity that actually it should be a celebration. And that's kind of what I'm working towards. And I would hope that anyone that's listening that might think that they're neurodivergent or that has had a diagnosis will gain something from from that approach to different ways that brains think, essentially. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue into the the main topic of conversation today. So yeah, you you were diagnosed autistic, but very late in life at age 40. Is that rare? It's not actually for women to be diagnosed later. So a lot of the time we have a very stereotypical idea of what autism is, you know, the kind of rain man trope. And it's very, very different for different people. But particularly when it comes to women, there's a lot of undiagnosed women that find out later in life, there's a lot of masking that goes on with women, particularly because if you've been socialized as female, 
then you know there's there's a kind of way of being a way of appearing to society and actually that can that masking can be so effective that it gets missed it gets missed by both the people and by institutions schools all of that kind of thing so it's not as rare as it should be it's certainly something that is now and i don't know what it's like where you are but certainly in the uk there's a lot more discussion around women and autism and what it looks like and how it might be different from this idea of kind of you know train spotting um and and of course that's something that that it may manifest that way for someone but equally it could be something completely different so yes it's not as rare as you'd think okay so take us back tell us about you know amy's life pre-diagnosis what was going on you know, what were some things that you were maybe observing about yourself as you were learning different things going through life? And then what led you to actually go and get tested? So I was originally an actor. I used to work in theatre and I trained at Lambda, which is London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. And I went there for three years. Amazing to have got in, was delighted to be doing doing the thing. You know, it's kind of one of the one of the top drama schools in London. And that was when I was in my early 20s. And it was an amazing education, but I found it to be very challenging on lots of different levels. I found the noise to be a lot. And I found the personalities of the people, you know, you think as a sort of stereotypical drama student thing. And, and that's that's kind of true. <laughs> that's kind of what it's like. Um, lots so, of personalities, right? Lots, lots of personalities. Personality. Yeah, lovely people, but a lot. And I would do a lot of retreating. So I would go in the breaks to sit and read or remove myself I removed myself a lot I now understand why but at the time I got labeled really as being kind of moody or unsociable having a bit of an attitude and I remember thinking at the time I I just it was a lot for me and that kind of feeling was something that was a theme where I would retreat socially from from certain situations particularly if there was a lot going on so that's kind of how I how I when I look back now, and it's all very well with hindsight, isn't it? You look back and you think, oh, okay, that makes sense. And that's why diagnosis for me has been really helpful because I can now look back and go, ah, oh, okay, that's why this has been a struggle for me. So um, that was your coping mechanism was just retreat from situation that felt overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. And definitely also, I would say there definitely was an element of seizing up and becoming quite emotionally hard, I would say. So that was definitely a way that I managed it and that it still happens now. You know, there's a kind of a kind of wall that will come down where I'm if I if the emotions are too much, because this idea that autistic people don't feel is is ridiculous. And and actually, it's of course, we feel we're human. We feel the same as other people. But actually, um, if I feel overwhelmed by feeling a kind of defense mechanism cuts off and I, I almost can't interact with people at all. So I can see looking back why that was perceived as being, you know, a bit, a bit off. <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Um, Amy, Amy's was, having one of her moods. There exactly. She yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and that, and that probably that kind of phrase you, that you say there just that kind of, you know, drama queen thing, that idea that actually she's acting up, she's acting out, you know, having these big kind of explosions of emotion was, was characterized for me when I was younger. I would, storm off and lots of screaming and upset and then I'd be fine so I just kind of had to get it out but you know it was a bit of a mystery I think for, for sort of family members and things and think oh she's off on one again 
so that's kind of where it started but it's certainly been something throughout my life that I have noticed certain patterns certainly been drawn towards towards drama towards that way of expressing things and so many people that are autistic are creative as well you know that's the other thing to mention I've got a lot of active friends writers that actually are either autistic or are neurodivergent in other ways and that's what I mean when I talk about you know celebrating these different traits actually and it's not being that there's a disorder which is you know the way that people talk about it but actually it's just a different way of thinking so then fast forward you know, many years of, of adulthood. One of the key points for me now looking back is having my little boy, which I had seven years ago. And when he was born, the noise of him crying, it's very difficult for any parent to hear their child crying. But for me, it was like physically unbearable. I would feel sick and I had to pick him up immediately. And there are certain things around motherhood that I talk very openly about. Like for me, as an autistic woman, motherhood is, a, is really, really challenging. I find it very challenging. I find it very challenging now, particularly the repetition. If my brain is not active, if my brain isn't doing something that's like got a dog, dog toy to chew on, then it gets, it gets frustrated. And I find, you know, the repetitive play of making a Lego you know, a Lego castle or whatever it might be again and again and again. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> so or wa- or watching the same episode of that TV show that they love on exactly. repeat over and over. Yeah. And even it would, the it would drive you crazy. Yeah. It drives me absolutely crazy. And even the conversations, you know, with, with my little one, I adore him obviously goes without saying, but sometimes I'm like, wow, you just have to say the same things again and again and again and again. And of course, again, that's universal. That's frustrating for a lot of parents. But I think when you're wired in a certain way, it's very difficult to deal with that level of stress. I can feel my whole nervous system reacting to that kind of repeating, repeating, repeating. And it feels very tense. So motherhood was was another kind of kind of point and then I guess very recently when I started thinking about whether or not I might be autistic I was listening to a podcast with a another coach actually another life coach who was talking about her experiences of diagnosis and as I was listening to it I was thinking I was I could feel myself getting angry and I'm self-aware enough that I thought what is going on here <laughs> I could feel my whole body tensing and I actually thought what's she talking about? She's not autistic. I went into this, this kind of quite um, aggressive sort of monologue in my head around the fact that there was no way she could be autistic because she was good with her feelings. She was empathic. I had all of those stereotypes myself. So I'm not sitting here saying like I didn't have them. I 100% had them. And that's the learning curve I've been on. And I was listening, just getting more and more annoyed thinking, what's she talking about? And as I reflected, you know, I calmed down a little bit. I listened to it again a couple of days later. And, and the reason I was so annoyed was because I could recognise so many different parts of what she was saying in myself. And for me, it was such a shock to think I might be autistic. The very idea of it, I was pushing away because it just seemed like it was impossible for me, who's got this heightened empathy, who's great with reading body language. Like, that's my special skill, you know. And so things like that didn't fit this idea of Rain Man, you know. After that, I essentially started to dig into it a bit, read some literature around it, read some literature around women, and started to realise that actually, well, hold up now, that's why I'm, that's why I'm so, was so annoyed. <laughs> 
I'm seeing myself in this woman and I do not know if I like what I am seeing. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, I think it's easy to go to black and white thinking, particularly for autistic people. There's a kind of appeal to it to make things make sense when they don't make sense. And so I instantly kind of went to, well, she must be wrong. She's wrong. (laughs) And then had to try and, you know, understand that and unpick it and do the work and really get to grips with it. Of course, she wasn't wrong. She's an amazing coach. I've learned a huge amount from her. But in that instance, I noticed the pushback within myself. Okay. So you do some self-exploration, right? Like unpacking this for you, you start doing some research. I'm assuming you went down a deep rabbit hole of reading and the internet and, and finding things to get to a point where, okay, this, this could be possible. This could be me. Yeah, exactly. And then I, of course, started to, to look at where the, the woman that I was listening to had got diagnosed and, and I spoke to the NHS in the UK to talk to them about whether or not I could get diagnosis by them and went down that path. In the end, I managed to get some funding to get a diagnosis through something called Access to Work in the UK, which is great. And for anyone that's listening that is UK based, that's something definitely to look into because it's not cheap to get, you know, to get a diagnosis or to look to get a diagnosis. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like as children, there's obviously things and tests and whatnot that are kind of packaged up in what's available to kids but once we adults hit a certain age they're like okay you're on your own so what is the cost in the UK for an adult to go and get tested yeah so at this at this stage you know we're, we're in uh May 2023 um for anyone that's listening after after this um it were it's around sort of anywhere between kind of 700 to 1200 pounds around that sort of mark so it's it's definitely hefty and it's yeah. not the that I was in a position to suddenly be able to just that's not small change to me you know so I was I was lucky and I think it does to a certain extent come down to luck to who you are speaking to who's doing the assessment with the you know with access to work and things like that if you manage to to get on that path but I just asked outright look could you fund could you fund a diagnosis and how do I go about doing that so but you know then I did the diagnosis and it was really interesting to, to do and actually a lot of anxiety around well, if I do this and what if they say no, you know, which is, which is totally would be viable, you know, where am I at then? Mm-hmm. Um, which was definitely playing on my mind. I know plays on a lot of minds of people who are going to see if they, if they might be neurodivergent or not. So uh, in the end, you know, I was, and I, I kind of had the whole in-depth assessment and things, but it's, there's a bigger question around whether it's right for individuals, like it was right for me, but for some people it might not be right because actually the risk of a no could be very difficult to process after. So it's how useful that label is or isn't for an individual. So walk us through the testing. What was kind of some of the things included in assessing whether you were or you weren't? Yeah, so it's a full diagnostic sort of interview for several hours around my history, around um, my background, family, how I interact with people, all of that sorts of things. And then there's a diagnostic criteria where you get asked questions, you know, how likely are you to X, Y, Z? So there might be questions around socialising, eye contact, things like that. But one of the things I found very interesting was actually some of the questions 
I'm so adept at masking as so many autistic women are that when I was being asked the questions I was thinking well it depends because I can do all of that stuff beautifully well but that's because I've learned how to do it so it's kind of you know how comfortable are you well I it's hard to know when even within yourself whether the mask is up or down at times because you're so used to it you know Mm -hmm. and I'm not a massive fan of the word mask because it's there's an implied decorative element and actually it's just a presentation of a version of you that helps you get on in the world so I'm not don't love that phrase I'm sure there were better ones not that I found any yet but but yeah so that was that was the process um but it was it was tricky to unpick and this is one of the questions that a lot of autistic women will come out of this process when they get a diagnosis thinking well who am I then because actually are you the presentation of self to public? Are you the presentation of self completely alone with your intimate partner, with your, and of course we're all multifaceted, right? That's just, mm-hmm. that's just the, that's how we all show up differently in different spaces for what's appropriate for that environment. Exactly. But I think it's the level of kind of, of not being able to be seen as your most relaxed self, I suppose, to a certain extent, for, for me, certainly. So it's a lot of unpicking. There's a lot of processing. I'm definitely still, you know, in the process of, of doing that right now. So testing, what you said it was several hours. Yes, over, over, over the two, course of two, two days. Okay. So yeah, over the course of two days. Yeah. So somebody who presents with, you know, y- your, your particular group of anxieties how stressed were you going into the test pretty stressed yeah pretty stressed and I was I was again able to just articulate that and say I feel quite nervous about this which was great because the person I was working with was brilliant and he he kind of put me at ease on that but yeah it's 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 stressful it's a lot of it is about you know sense of self and I've done working in the in the field that I work in working with people coaching people doing my own therapy for years and years, all the stuff that comes with that sort of self-awareness piece. I am very self-aware, but equally it's scary. It's like who you are ultimately. And it's not to say it defines you, but it does when you look back, as I say, really put things in a different frame. Mm -hmm. And for you personally, that was helpful, having the diagnosis and knowing. Hugely helpful, yeah. And there's still a part of me that's like, am I really though? Like for sure, there's definitely still a real doubting part of me. It's just like, nah, because some days I can, I don't feel as autistic as others. I mean, quite extremely don't, you know, some days I will be going on the tube in London and it's so loud. I've got my noise cancelling headphones on and I'm, I'm able to calm myself and it doesn't stress me out. Other days I, I'm actually fine. I'm feeling out there. I'm feeling like I can, I, the, the noise isn't upsetting me. I'm able to. So it can be quite varied. It's not to say that consistently it's always awful, but it's it really does depend on circumstances, on energy levels. You know, there's the whole spoon theory thing of how many spoons you've got left. You know, it's a kind of thing for people to Google if they're interested. It's just how many spoons you have in a day. So if you've got 10 spoons of at the start of a day it's like checking in to how many spoons you've got left because energy is only going to take it'll take away those spoons by the end of the day you are like if, if you hit one spoon by lunchtime you're in trouble so yeah it's the tank energy. is empty exactly yeah so so yes 
remember <laughs> what you asked me. <laughs> no, that, that the diagnosis was actually helpful for you, right? Whereas you were saying that sometimes for others, going in and getting tested isn't beneficial, A, because of the results of processing that they're that they're not, or you know, we're and I guess here's another question. When you're given the results, is it kind of like on a, a scale and a spectrum? Yeah, it's on a it's on a scale, and that none of these apparatus are perfect. You know, there's imperfection in all of these things. It doesn't deal with nuance, and I guess they have to start somewhere, right? I guess that's why they have the psychiatric background piece as well to to back it up. But yes, yeah, so you you go on a scale. I think I was kind of bang in the middle of the of the scale, um, but also for sure, you know, I've spoken to other autistic people who have said the rage that came afterwards for them because they felt like, why was this not picked up? Why was this not picked up when I was a kid? How my life different? All of those things. That's not something that I went to necessarily, but I can certainly, it's certainly confusion and it can send you into a real like, what, how is this possible? Sort of thing. And then this like deep dive analysis of your past and you're picking apart all these situations and replaying this, these scenarios in your mind of, well, when I was in that situation, this is how I reacted. And, and, oh my goodness had like, I'm sure you went down the rabbit hole of, in your memory of like all of these scenarios and situations where you're like, that's why, or that's what, you know, that's when. Exactly. A hundred percent. And I think it's, I think it's just trying to figure out, you know, there has to be with some of it, some of it's really useful, but sometimes there has to be a bit of a lightness of touch around maybe it was that and maybe it was something else that was going on for me at that time. For me mm-hmm. personally, that's how I have to approach it because I can see I can see there are real aha moments, but equally, you know, you can end up over-attributing of being like, well, that's why my life has gone completely this way. And it's like, well, kind of, bit of that, bit of that, you know. But for me, it's very useful, apart from anything, just in being able to manage my energy levels being able to understand why I'm so tired if after a day of being with other humans I'm just like wow I am out I literally don't want to see anyone also if I am not masking if I am feeling like I want to be my more authentic autistic self if I'm super blunt which can be like super super blunt then I can have some understanding towards myself of why I came across you know why I might have said something so blunt that maybe the other person is kind of like whoa okay exactly yeah so so I can also then caveat it in my mind and to the person to be like okay (laughs) sorry I just said I just said what I thought there but equally as I said at the start you know it's a massively it's an awesome quality to have as well when I'm coaching clients and I'm working with whether they're neurodivergent or whether they're not as a life coach, I'm able to spot the bullshit essentially <laughs> to a certain extent. And for me, when I'm working with my coach equally, who is neurodivergent, she will spot things that she'll just pull it out. And actually for me, for, for me to be able to have that honest, open, clear dialogue with someone where I can say, hold up there, you know, I, I don't think that's, that. I think you're, you're chatting shit to yourself right now. Let me tell you a bit about that. You know, there's mm-hmm. something quite refreshing I think for when I'm working with people, being able to communicate in that way, particularly, as I said, if they're neurodivergent as well, because it's like cutting straight through, you know, there's no messing around. Oh, for sure. It's a tool, right? Yeah. And it's a tool that you, you get to leverage and access 
on for self, for self, but for, for, you know, reviewing and looking at others from a different lens. 100%. The other, the other thing I think that's um, really interesting that I think gets missed a lot is, as I said, the empathy piece and this idea that autistic people don't feel as much, you know, I feel so much. Um, uh, I'm like, it's too much how much I feel at times. Um, but actually, one of my special interests, you talk about I don't know if any listeners or if you're aware, you know, a lot of the time autistic people have special interests. So my special interest is actually body language and the way that faces move and the way that people speak and tone and all of those things. So, and that's possible that came out of me when I was younger, not understanding those things and therefore making it like my mission to understand every intricate nuance detail about the way the micro movements of people's faces and being able to do that as a specialist skill being able to key into when I'm working in groups when I'm coaching or when I'm working one-to-one being able to name with a client you know oh I noticed that something happened there with your body you know being able to say those things and actually you can really key into people by having that attention to detail by having that hyper focus in certain areas now if someone yeah. comes to me about coding I'm out you know like I, I'm I'm so out if I'm at a dinner party or something I'm dying inside um and if I'm not interested in a topic I'm so I will do my best at masking but it's like it is so painful for me to make that kind of small um and so but when I'm on my specialist subject whether it's, you know, psychology, whether it's the way that the mind works, whether it's story, because a lot of my work in coaching is also around story, then I'm, I'm in my element. So there's, there's, you know, pluses and minuses with all of these things, but I certainly feel it's a, it feels like an amazing place to be coming with this, with this work for me to be coming, working with people one-to-one and being able to add that extra element. And just thinking back to your past career as an actor and being able to like, read nonverbal cues and and all that how that played into your career and how you took on characters and you know wanted to express and and communicate non-verbally in scenes or what I can I'm now just like thinking about like oh that was probably really really helpful for you in your past career and maybe that's what led you to a career in theater and acting from a, you know, your love as a kid of performing or whatnot is because of all of those little things. Yeah, it's definitely that. And actually, it's also thinking about kind of this idea of control. So for me, the way that autism manifests is I really need to feel in control. Like I need to feel in control. I'm not, it's not a case that I need to time exactly when, because for, for some people it's, it's about kind of leaving the house at certain times and it doesn't really manifest like that for me. But if something changes, if I have a plan and something changes last minute, that is not good for my brain at all. I will be very, very stressed about that. And, and now I'm able to say, oh, okay, that's that's my neuros kicking off. You know, I'm feeling a certain way because yeah. of the way that my brain is wired and that's okay and explain that to whoever I'm with. But I think around the theatre piece, around the acting piece, it's actually really interesting because being on stage, I can't improvise. I never could as an actor. That yeah, was like scripted. my nightmare. So you think about what theatre really is. You think about what acting is you know exactly what you're going to say you know where you're going to stand you know the world of the play on stage or in the radio booth 
everything is controlled. It's literally, you know, exactly what's going to happen from one bit to the next. Now, of course, someone might cough in a scene, someone might lose a line, but you have these ways to get back. And actually, like that makes total sense now I look back to think, right, um, how clever my brain was, you know, to find this. Put you in a situation that you were in a controlled environment. So controlled, but able to be expressive, but not as myself, because that was too uncomfortable for me. That didn't feel safe, but as other people. So being able to go out there to do the thing to, and I just, I'm eternally grateful to my brain for making that, the thing that I was drawn to and making that a way I could be creative without having to be seen as me it's not necessarily that that's you know a negative actually it's about celebrating and I try to do this whenever I'm working with clients when I'm even working with myself actually what's your clever brain done to make you feel safe and how can you celebrate that like whether it's something you know that often when I'm working with women there's areas where we discuss people pleasing and things like that and you just think hold up now what what is people pleasing what it is is trying to help you feel safe in a situation where you feel you have to please a person in order to maintain equilibrium right so rather than rather than beating yourself up actually thanking your brain that was awesome that was something I really need to do in that job in that career in that career in that relationship whatever it might be I don't need it anymore but well done brain (laughs) that's kind of the approach yeah it makes sense right like our bodies do the thing instinctually to help us survive and and so instead of saying you know this isn't this isn't right this isn't good no in that moment it was the right thing to do because a it worked yeah right and it's only now like hey are these things still working for you if not then okay now we need to change strategies here but the reason people turn to all of their coping devices you know when they're upset uh, you know it's because they work yeah they work and there's a real celebration I really try to encourage people to celebrate that whether that is the way their brain works because they're neurodivergent or whether it's just because of what's happened to them in their life, you know, just being able to really relish and enjoy even a failure in inverted commas, you know, it's not, it's, it was something that you did, it happened. And actually, where are you at now? And what have you learned from it? So it's always the approach I try to take. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, now what, what's going on now that you have your diagnosis, I guess, you know, you've shared a little bit about how you're using it in, in the work that you're doing now, but what's life like for you? How are the people in your life also responding to this diagnosis, your son, your husband, your family, like, I'm sure it's big news for you, but it's also big news for other people around you. Yeah, so I tried to explain it to my little one. So he's seven, <laughs> which was interesting to try and explain to him. He did say to me, bless him, um, when I'm older, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to cure your autism. And I said, oh, darling, you won't be able to do that. It's it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not you don't need to cure it. It's just the way my brain works is very sweet. But again, it is interesting. So it shows there's a societal yeah already at seven he's picked up on the cues that this this is mom's different and different is not exactly like what we want to be we want to be the same yes exactly yeah so you know I don't know whether he is autistic or not at this stage and I think that's something certainly in terms of now what that I'll be 
looking at. I, I have my suspicions. But, you know, it's led me to talk to my family about it, talk to my parents about it, about whether or not there may be, it may be that it's passing down the line. And I think they may have done a little bit of reading around that, but that's an ongoing process, I think. The way it's affected me is it's, I can only speak about it positively from my experience. And I hope that anyone listening that suspects they might be would be able to down the line do the same. You know, it's something that I'm able to say with my partner, you know, oh, okay, something's gone a bit haywire in my brain, I need some help. And that's really, that's a really beautiful thing to be able to ask for help. My other half is also neurodivergent. So that, for me, that really helps because we're both able to have some laughs around it as well. Like I'm a big believer in being able to laugh about these things because it can be so funny, you know, when we're both, when we're both off, you know, it's, it's especially with the little ones around but it's like okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot so being able to have some good humor around it and levity but also being able to spot in each other okay you need a break like something something's happened here that or if you know if he's turning on the juicer then he'll say because it's very loud <laughs> loud noises screen. coming through prepare yourself yeah exactly you know those little things to be like okay this is going to happen so that's been really helpful to the people I work with, being able to be open about it. And as I said, also working with women that are neurodivergent that are creatives as well, like me. So I guess my clients are often creative and are often neurodivergent. And I think the two go hand in hand a lot of the time. And that's just enabled me to have really honest and open conversations and dialogues with people that feel lost, you know, with it. Shared, so, shared, shared experience. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I'm learning all the time, you know, I went to talk yesterday about it, trying to understand it better. But I think with all of these things, I think we're in a societal place where there's a lot of compartmentalization around different, you know, groups of people, whether that be, you know, looking at sex, uh, race, class, you know, there's a lot of that going on at the moment in a societal, in a societal, through a societal lens which I think is really important to understand that intersectional piece, really important to do that work. But equally, I really want to open conversations up so there doesn't become a them and us othering thing, which which can sometimes happen, you know, around these conversations of you wouldn't get it because you're not autistic or whatever it might be to actually try to learn from each other and to say, oh, okay, maybe I'm not autistic, but that's really interesting. And I can see there's some parallels with the way that I think. And I think as we move forward anyway, I think we're just going to discover more and more people that think differently. And I don't think it will be labelled in quite the same way. I think there are so many different ways of learning. And I'm hoping that education will catch up, you know, different ways of, of teaching younger people who either are dyslexic or have ADHD or whatever it might be to actually be able to try and teach in different ways more creative ways and get people to start thinking outside the box you know my little one she was doing voice note type things for in school around what remembering things I thought oh, that's pretty good they're using auditory stimulation rather than just written so it's different ways of thinking but I do certainly think it's it's moving it's moving towards more awareness and a celebration I hope of difference yeah there is yeah as you said there is a lot of slicing as I am kind of referred to it in society right now. And there's this, these different ribbons and slices of society in, in all of the categories that you mentioned. And it's important to identify some of those, but also remembering 
there it's a slice. We're all still human. We're all still part of the same society and world. And, and at the end of the day, that's, that's the connector between all of us and acknowledging and, and recognizing our differences, but remembering that we are also very much the same. For sure. And I think one of the things that I do in the work that, that I do is working, as I said, I mentioned earlier, looking at story mm-hmm. and actually the stories that we have about groups of people, the stories we have about ourselves can be changed. And that's when I'm when I work with people, I try to unpick what your story is about yourself. And perhaps, you know, with the with the neuro diversity hat on thinking about why I've come to doing that perhaps for me it's about creating some order because again there's a lot of chaos and one of the reasons that our brains are drawn to story is to try and make sense of things right so it it makes total sense that that's been one of my special interests forever and also because stories are just the coolest thing in the world so I'm like geek about stories (laughs) that's why this podcast exists because it was all about the stories and and sharing them so that people can learn and experience and figure out for themselves, oh, what what's my version of this? Yeah, right? yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 100%. And I think actually one of the things as well is, you know, of course, story, but also looking at why it's so difficult to speak about these things and the shame and what the shame signifies for women, particularly around talking about, things that are, again, in inverted commas, wrong with them, things that that they feel they can't talk about, which is why, you know, as much as possible, I'm trying to talk about this as, uh, so it's out. One of the things that they've, they've looked at is that for autistic women, there's a much higher incidence of, unfortunately, of things like sexual violence, sexual abuse, simply because of the fact that there's a, a level of trust that autistic women might have that is not it makes total sense right if you if you have if you struggle with reading societal signs if you struggle with reading facial expressions understanding quite what's happening in a social situation then unfortunately there might be things that happen that aren't that aren't okay and you may not be able to name that and so again I just try to whenever I'm talking to people about this well I want to mention it in the podcast is you know, it's understanding that and it's thinking, right, that's, that may be that someone's listening that has had that experience and actually to just understand why that's happened and to have an awareness of the fact that that's an awful thing that happens, but also it's trying to raise the awareness of actually we really need to be looking after people and helping empower people that are neurodivergent so that they, that shame thing can be lifted because, Shame and women go hand in hand, unfortunately, because of how we've been socialized, whether that's looking at, you know, being told that we have to shave our legs from the age of 12 or our bodies aren't good enough, all of that stuff, it all ties in. So it's really important, I think, to to mention that as well, just because, yeah, to have an awareness around, around those instances and actually acknowledging things, saying them out in the open so that we can start to have conversations like this one. Yeah. Love it. All right. Oh my goodness, Amy, we talked about so much. Thank you. Thank you for being so open and sharing your story. Where do you like to hang out? Where can people find you? If if someone is like very intrigued now, 
you know, and listening to this podcast, similar to how you listen to that other one, and it just put them in a in a headspace, and they they need to have a conversation. Where can people find you? Where do you like to hang out? Right. So yeah, they can find me on Instagram as my main social media platform. So it's Amy Eubank, A M the mother Y Eubank spell E W B for Bertie. A N for November K underscore. And that's my Instagram handle. Check me out on there. I'm sharing lots of life story, life story hints and, and tips on there. And also www.amyubank.com. And if you go onto the website, there's a freebies tab. You can download uh, the Her Story Workbook, which is looking at your life story. And then you, you also get access to a, a webinar. And you can also buy my website. If you're interested in having a chat, I offer a free discovery call. So there's an ability to, to put me a line as well. And just if anyone wants to speak to see whether they're interested in life story coaching, then I'm really happy to have a chat. I don't do the hard sell thing, as you probably gathered. I'm too straight down the line for that. I just say, do you want to do it? <laughs> have, a, have a nice chat and conversation. So yeah, more than happy to do that as well. Awesome. Love it. All right, everyone. So if this episode and story resonated with you, please give it a like, a share, a listen. Don't forget to subscribe. Or if you know someone who could be experiencing something similar, please, please, please share this episode with them because it may help them figure out their very own. Now what? All right. That is it for us this week. Thank you, Amy, so much for joining me. And we will see you next week for another Now What Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do how to move forward and help you answer, now what? See you on the next episode.